When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. Hello, creative cutie. How are you doing? I'm so excited for today's creative check-in. I've been thinking a lot about the phrase crowded space. And I've also been thinking a lot about candles. And I promise that will all make sense in a minute. So when you enter almost any creative industry these days, you'll hear people say, well, it's such a crowded space. But I had a particularly jarring moment myself with the phrase crowded space right before I started this podcast when somebody told me basically that you can't make it in podcasting anymore unless you're a mega huge celebrity. And I think that it's great because this show is already proving that wrong in a lot of ways with the success it's had because of you. But it did jar me as I was about to enter this quote crowded space wondering, well, do I have what it takes to do it? But I didn't really have any way to fight what that person was saying to me at the time until this week. So my cousin asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding, which is very exciting. And she sent this cute little box to ask me and it had little presents in it. It had a corkscrew that was actually a magnet. It had a card, a handmade card that she had done, and it had a candle. And it was a candle that I had never heard of. It was from a company I'd never heard of before. It was called White Barn Scented Candles. So that got me thinking. I have three other candles in my apartment. All of them are from different companies. All of them are on the newer side. Candles were invented in 3000 BC by the Egyptians, okay? They really became like what we know them as today in 500 BC when the Romans took on candles and made their own version. That was thousands of years ago. A new candle company pops up every day and some of them become multi-million dollar industries. If candles can break through the noise in a quote, crowded space, then why the hell can't you with whatever your creative desire is? The answer is you can. So don't listen to anyone and what they say. Yes, it is a crowded space. It would be great if whatever space you're entering didn't have any competition. But if that's not the way, if that's not the the option you were given, then do it anyway. Do it in a way that's uniquely you. And if you do it in a way that's uniquely you and authentic to you and you find tools to market, even if you don't have a lot of money, even if you don't have a huge audience, I promise you, if you stick with it, you will make it. Because if a candle can break through and become a multi-million dollar business in 2019, thousands of years after a candle was invented, then fuck anyone who says that you can't do it with what you want to do. All right. Got a little riled up there. It's time for our creative of the week. So the creative of the week this week is singer-songwriter Kaylee Schaefer. And she is an incredible artist who writes and sings with passion. I've had the honor of writing with her a couple of times, and she's always committed to making catchy music that moves humanity's consciousness forward, which is something we definitely need more of today. She has a new single out called Attached. It's haunting, 
beautiful, and catchy. She even plays violin on the track, which adds so much. You can check out her single, Attached, on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your music. And follow her at I am Kaylee Schaefer. That's at I am K-A-I-L-E-Y-S-H-A-F-F-E-R. All right, now let's get to our guest. Roxy Stryer is an actor, host, writer, creator, and one of my dearest friends. She's best known for her work on AfterBuzz TV, The Tomorrow Show, Screen Junkies, Collider Live, Nerdist, and The Jim and Sam Show on SiriusXM. Roxy's career started when she moved to L.A. to attend USC for acting. Her life was forever changed when she sat next to our mutual mentor, Kevin Undergaro, on a plane ride. Kevin saw her star power and made her the first ever host for AfterBuzz TV. Since then, she has become one of the biggest names in the digital space, interviewing everyone from Matt LeBlanc to Remy Malek, Jason Momoa, Sharon Osbourne, Sigourney Weaver, Ruby Rose, Gene Simmons, and many more. The whole time she was building a successful career in hosting, her heart was yearning to act. It was all she wanted since she was a little kid. She calls hosting acting adjacent. She loves it, but acting is her deepest passion. However, Roxy saw the value in walking through open doors, so her commitment to taking the long way around stayed steady. I'm happy to say that today, after 10 years of building a career in hosting, she is finally starting to make her living from acting too. You can expect to see her in upcoming films like Oak Park Productions' Indigo and Jason Mewes' film Madness in the Method. Don't hide from your creativity because it will find you. And if you hide from it, it will just hurt more. And even if it's weird and strange and you feel like people might judge you for it, if it's how you express yourself and it's your outlet, lean into it because it's what's going to get you through, whether it's a parent passing or any other tragedy you're going through. If it's your outlet and it's your calling, it is what you have. I wanted to bring Roxy on the show because she is a brilliant example of persistence, patience, kindness, and the power of taking the long way around to get to your creative destination. I believe it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there, and Roxy is a great example of that. From our conversation, you'll learn how to find a mentor, how to get your creativity back after experiencing a tragic loss, necessary tools for taking the long way around, how to know if you're better suited for freelance or full-time work, the best way to deal with a bully, and how to access creativity wherever you are. Now here she is. The great Roxy Stryer. So, Rox, you're a very creative person. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, that surprised you? Well, I don't know. Out here, uh, I feel like in LA, everybody is a creative person, and they're actually all over the world, but it's kind of a given. So you don't get told the things you were told growing up. Like growing up, everybody told me you're so creative, and. I took that for granted, and now nobody tells me that. (laughs) It is interesting because you move here and everyone's special. It's like all the most special, beautiful, talented people. I think it it really helps to like go back to your base and kind of remember who you are from that aspect. But do you remember the first time you felt or were told that you were creative? Oh, I was definitely really young because my... Grandmother went to Juilliard and my mom was also in that whole singing theater thing. My dad worked in the rock and roll industry, so family of artists. Mm -hmm. And they definitely had their eye out for it. And my other two siblings were not as overtly creative. My brother was really into sports and my sister was just trying to help people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was kind of like I was the one who every family vacation was trying to – take the video camera or was always trying to sing and I was really really bad you're actually not as, uh, as we grew. both know I grew <laughs> I grew into it a little more but I, I don't know when I was a kid I really couldn't but my my parents were telling me since I was like two that I was creative I mean I my favorite thing to do after school was to go and like do you know what a terracotta pot is yeah is it the orange pot that you put plants in yeah I would go and I would just like 
find them in the street and draw on them. Like draw different paintings and pictures of flowers and, and peace signs. Or I would take my homework and instead of doing it, I would make an entire design all over it. Or uh, <laughs> how did that go over at school? <laughs> I mean, I, I got a lot of teachers being like, wow, very talented. Not what I asked for. <laughs> Which kind of is the motto of my whole life. Like, wow, talented, not what I asked for, not what I was looking for. So I don't know the first time, but definitely I was not one of those people who grew up where nobody was saying it to me. Everyone knew. Everyone knew that I I wanted to be an artist since I was like legit too. How does having that base of your parents and everyone in your family basically supporting you, how has that carried you through in what you're doing now? And how do you keep that in mind? It's a, a, I don't know if double-edged sword is the right expression, but there's a good part of it and there's a bad part of it. The part that's good is that my family was so convinced that no matter what, I would be successful in what I did. And they were so supportive, like, don't worry about it. You're going to make it. You'll be a star. And that was so nice to hear. But it's also kind of a crock of crap. Because, (laughs) you know, I don't know if I was logistically prepared for the life of being an actual artist. My dad was very, very lucky that at an extremely young age, he was ridiculously successful in his career. And I think he thought it was going to happen for me like that. And it didn't. And so I kind of had counted my chickens before they hatched. I love the eggs or the chickens? Um. I'm going to say chickens. Let's go with chickens. I feel like it's eggs, but that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I counted the chickens before they hatched and then <laughs> in I'm a terracotta stuck with pot. eggs. Yeah, all the chickens were in this one pot. Um, so it, I think that it was great to never feel questioned, never wonder if what I was doing was a viable option because everybody said it was. But at the same time, it was unrealistic. My My expectations were unrealistic of what this industry actually looked like and what choosing the life of an artist actually meant. And when I finally moved out of here, uh, moved out here, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was not ready for this. I would say you've taken a long way out of the way in order to get to the right place correctly. I'm going to give Edward LB the credit for that because he's the one that made up that saying. You should have just taken credit. I I wouldn't have known. I know, but someone would have and then we would have been like, that girl's a liar. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) you're finally like getting to acting, which is so great because it's what you've always wanted to do. But how did you decide to take that long path and what are the benefits and drawbacks of that? I don't know if it was ever a decision. It wasn't? You look at other people's lives and you think they're these really poignant moments in which they choose. But sometimes you don't, you can't pin down the point that something happened. It just was years. Like I, (laughs) I, I know that sounds so strange and a lot of people... Uh, who know that acting is my first love kind of wonder, okay, when did you decide to be a host? What was that moment? And it was not a moment. It's been the whole journey. I never really made a decision. I just kept saying yes to everything that was put on my plate for better or worse. Why? And I still don't, I still don't know exactly why. And I don't know if I could go back if I would do it the same or different. It's hard to give advice in that sense. Not that you're asking me to, but... No, I am because I think that there is actually something to what you did and are doing. And I think that it's a viable option for a lot of people to take the path of least resistance because to me, it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. For sure. And as long as you can stick in, then Mm -hmm. you will get there, or at least that's what I'm told. Because for me, it's taken 10 years, 10 legitimate years for me to finally be able to start acting out here and and making a partial living doing that. And that's a long time. That's not something that I was expecting. I already in my head had won four Emmys and an Oscar at this (laughs) point. So I think that if you know yourself and you know you're somebody who can hang in, you can kind of take whatever path presents itself because ultimately your goals will stay the same and you'll pick up new goals, but you'll go on this journey knowing you're in it for the long haul. If you're not that kind of person, if you're a, I need this now, then you can't really do that because 10 years at 70 to 80, sometimes 100 hours a week, 
not doing the exact thing you love, but doing something you love adjacent, which is kind of what I call it. Like hosting mm-hmm. is acting adjacent. Directing is acting adjacent. Writing is acting adjacent. Right. right? Doing these, these adjacent things that are still in your industry, but not the thing can be really hard. Brutal. Yeah, it can be. And and you do find things you love about it. Like my – the main reason I loved acting is because I love telling people stories. And I found a way to do that with hosting. And I found a way to do that in producing and all of the other things that ended up paying the bills. And that's what I – that's what I felt good about, that I was still managing to tell other people's stories and managing to shine a light on that even though it wasn't in the medium that I preferred. It's hard to find something that's exactly, I mean, I guess the only thing I could liken it to is like with me, I love producing, but I've always wanted to be a host. It's great because I've learned those skills and now I have all the skills I need to create my own show, which is incredible. But for you as an actress who is in a acting adjacent industry, how did you make sure to keep your acting passion skill set alive while you're doing that. And not only that, how did you start letting other people know, hey, this is what I really want to do? That second part was a lot trickier and I'll get to that. But for the first part, I couldn't kill it even if I wanted to. It wasn't a how do you manage to keep it alive? It was a how do I manage to keep it at bay? Because it's- Well, how did you manage that? I, I I don't know if I did. I- I It was screaming from me. Anybody who gets close to me in any capacity knew that it was what I was dying to do and still am. I mean, just because I'm finally after 10 years starting does not mean I feel fulfilled. But you find different ways to fill the cup, like taking Groundlings, which is uh, an improv class that I take out here in L.A. that people, you know, go on to SNL and things like that, or taking acting courses, or being in student films, or making up my own stuff, or reading my monologue books at night, watching TV shows, turning them off and seeing how much of it I just memorized, like trying to perform in different ways in my car, you know, figuring it out so that you still can fill that cup in any kind of way. And then realizing that, you don't always get what you want when you want it. And so pushing it down, uh, not forever, but so that you can do the other jobs and so that the focus every day is not just, this is what I want to do. This is what I came out here to do. There's other loves and other lives. And and I think that I really found a passion that I never would have found. I love hosting. And I never would have known that. I never would have gotten to that had acting come first because I would have just stayed there. I know that about myself. So I feel like for that, it wasn't about keeping it alive. It was about really trying to manage that. And then in terms of telling other people, that was really tricky because nobody really wants to hire you for a job that isn't the job you want the most. So true. And that's a bizarre thing to say, but once people when I was auditioning for hosting, if they found out that I wanted to be an actor, that was a definite negative for them. It's not a positive. They don't look at it like, oh, she wants to do everything. They look at it like, oh, if she books something in that field, she will leave us and we do not want to hire her. So it kind of had been a secret for a really long time. And now that I have started to gain not a big one, but a little bit of a following and have a lot of really loyal people out there, I am realizing that they're kind of doing the work for me. Like they're the ones who are saying, this was your dream rocks or go do this. And so as long as it's not coming from me and I'm not like approaching each one of my bosses saying, hey, by the way, I'm an actress also. And if they're seeing it on Twitter or via my friends or whoever, they seem to be a little more lenient with it. That's interesting. Why do you think that is if they're seeing it from someone else or online that they're more okay with it than if you were just to be honest with them and tell them? Why are people so weird in that way? Yeah, they are. I think, and obviously I can only speculate, but everybody likes something to be their idea. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of these companies that I host for are also getting into scripted work because now – you're, you've got to be a jack of all trades if you're going to stay alive in this industry. Which is the ironic part. <laughs> it's it's super duper ironic. They don't want to hire you if you can do everything, but they only are looking for people who can do everything. But they want to think they came up with the idea. So if one of my bosses sees somebody tweet about that, 
they'll come to me and be like, did you ever think about acting in this thing? Then they have ownership of it. They think that they came up with it, which I'm like, wow, not wow. (laughs) That's, I should do that. We should make that happen, which has legitimately happened to me twice in the last month. And it's baffling. How did you know to take the approach of, wow, you're so brilliant. I never would have thought of that versus, yeah, I love acting. It's my passion. How did you know? I think I've learned one of the best things about hosting for all of these years is you just start to learn people and different personality types. And that one came pretty quickly. Like I'm going to say a year into the grind, that one was very apparent that anybody who is a boss in this industry wants to take credit. It's why when you see people give their Oscars speech, 99% of the time, the majority of the speech is just names because people know how much it means for their name to be mentioned. Like, this is where the credit goes. Everyone out here wants credit. Like, everybody. So if you let them think that the credit is theirs, what? Well, how does that hurt me? It really doesn't. And I know that it helps get the job done. So it's fine. Definitely. How do you deal with that hypocrisy, though? Because, I don't know, I find myself sometimes running circles in my head thinking, okay, well, if I want to do, let's say you worked at a company that did both acting and hosting and you wanted to be an actress. It's not like you're walking in there and like, I'd love to be a brain surgeon. How can we make that happen? How can you stomach the hypocrisy and move forward? I I ask myself things like that all the time. Like sometimes you have to bite your tongue and moving out here I was so bad at that. I'm still not great at it. As You're pretty fucking good. I'm getting better, but oh my God. I said, oh, the other day, I'm because I'm just working so many hours, so many hours. I had a boss right before we went on air say something to me and out loud, this is serious, out loud because I'm so tired and I'm working that many hours. I thought I said it in my head and out loud I said, gosh, that's just so slimy. Out loud. I said it out loud because that's still the part of me that's unable to bite my tongue. And that person turned to me and said, excuse me? And I was like, oh my God. It was out of a movie. Like, a, I can't believe I just said that. Like, just said that it was slimy out loud. And so I I think that I, I don't stomach the hypocrisy very well. Uh, it's not inherent to me like that cheesy, fake, who has ownership, uh, the whole thing. It doesn't sit very well with me, but part of the industry is about playing a game, and I guess I'm playing it. Right. Yeah, you have to, and it's it's a good note. I think you, you've done like a really brilliant job of still staying authentic to yourself while playing that game, and it really isn't an easy line to walk. Thank you, but I think that if you're going to be authentic, it's going to take you a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll probably, you would probably agree with that because you're a very authentic person as well. That if we could be less authentic and more, yes, just yup, everybody, then probably you rise to the top a little faster. Now, I don't know how long you stay there, mm-hmm. but you probably get there faster. But I, I don't have that in me. And so, it's, it's like, at what cost? At what cost? Well, if you're a real artist, I don't think that you can live like that for long. So probably too high a cost. Yeah, probably. I don't know because I've never tried. Yeah. And don't plan on Don't. It. <laughs> so how does little kid Roxy feel now that you are in these acting roles? Is she, like, jumping up and down in your soul? Yeah. I mean, I, it's still so new and so fresh. I wonder... I wonder how it goes for me. It's still few and far between. Like I'm booking way more hosting stuff still. And I think little kid me is probably like, just just stop hosting for a little bit. Just fully go into acting. But the truth is, I have to pay my bills. And also I found another love. Right. So those two things are causing me to be like, shut up, little kid. (laughs) You don't know what it's like out here. You don't know. You don't know my life. So I think that she's probably proud, but also like 
took you long enough, <laughs> which is kind of true. Yeah, I mean, I think our little kid self is impatient, though, because they're like, we know what you want. We know you can do it. Just do it already. Yeah. But you are, and you had to, for whatever reason, this was your path, you Com- know? Completely. And I, I keep going back, thinking about what you asked me, which is, you know, what was what was that moment or what's that decision like? And just trying to pinpoint it. Like, well, how more, maybe a more direct question is why did you keep going down that path? Because I know that there were points, like a, a few years ago, you were like ready to like set it all on fire. Yeah. You know, I, so I'm ready so, to set it all on fire every day, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so why do point, you keep going toward it? Just is it really the bills thing? I can't just be the bills because then I would be, I would have stayed a bartender. So if I, you know, if it was all about the bills, then. I would just be serving drinks still because I was pretty good at that and I really liked it. Yeah. Honestly, I've never done anything I didn't like. And I've never been to a place I didn't like. Because uh, there's always- Any place? I've literally never been anywhere I didn't like and I've never done anything career-wise, job-wise that I didn't like. And I've had some oddball jobs. But you kind of just, if you like people and you like stories, then you're going to like it all in some way. Uh, so I think that I stayed with it because- I knew that it was the best way to grow following, which was going to be ultimately the best way to book because I started to really love it because I was able to do something every day that I felt like kind of mattered as stupid and goofy as it was. I was getting messages very early on from people about how much it meant to them, like getting things, getting their mind taken off of things or being able to relate to my story or me being so open about all the crazy stuff I've been open about. Uh, So there was immediate return. And then in the long run, I thought that it was going to get me ultimately where I wanted to go. So I kind of every day when it was like, do I set it on fire? Do I keep going? I just kept going. And I think you said something in there that's very true. It's tied to your ultimate purpose, which is, you know, maybe acting is your career purpose. But I think we have a thesis statement in life. You know, you took acting school, so you know the the character super objective. I think about that a lot for me. Like, what's my super objective? If someone was playing me, what would they say is driving me? What have you come up with? I think that my super objective is to bring healing and sight to those who feel unseen and unheard through my voice. I love that. So and whether that kind of goes through your music, your podcast, producing. producing. Yeah. And I also want to help other people bring their voice out there too. And to tell people I believe in them. That's a, the thesis statement of this podcast is every time I want to end with saying I believe in you. I don't want to say good luck anymore. I think that that very saying implies that you don't believe in someone. And you don't think that they're capable. I want to replace good luck in the lexicon with I believe in you. Good luck is also uh, kind of saying that it's out of that person's hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's up to luck, which is a, a BS concept. Yeah, it's rude. It, so, <laughs> how rude? How it's it's a very Michelle Tanner moment. Yeah, no, it is kind of rude actually when yeah. you think about it. When someone says "good luck" to me now, I'm just like, "Fuck you." I say it a lot. I've got to be careful with that. Like, well, no, and it also you have to consider the source. There are some people who say it who honestly mean it. When it's one of my aunts, a, I have a great aunt who said "good luck" to me, and I was like. Oh, okay. Now I know how you feel about me. <laughs> Under what what was the context around well, that? Well, first she- of all, she told me, I listened to your music and I was so shocked by how much you'd improved. Which yeah. is like, don't that's not a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that was me just vomiting into the mic. Yeah. That's, that's a really rude thing to say. Yeah. People so- who aren't actively working on their art though sometimes don't understand when you say something really rude. Maybe. Like- but she's the kind of person who does say oh, you really think she rude knew? things. Oh yeah. Yeah, there are some people who don't. And and if it was that kind of person, I would have pulled them aside and said, hey, I, you know, I just want to tell you how that came off. With her, there's no point because she's an internal victim and it would have been a whole thing. It's like the people I remember in high school doing all the shows and people would come up to you afterwards. You know, you wait. They wait for you outside with flowers or mm-hmm. whatever. And I would come out and, and some people would be like, oh, amazing job. And some people would be like, oh, better than your last show. And it's like, how am I even supposed to interpret that? Like, thank you. Why do you think someone would say something like that? If it's not malicious, why? I think that they think that that's an honest compliment. Like, uh, this one was better. (laughs) (laughs) 
which is that's so crazy. I know. Can you imagine if someone had a child and you're like, oh, really good job on the second kid. Your first kid's a fuck up. Better than the last one. Yeah. To, yeah. to me, that's what it's like. Every time you do something creative, it's a birth of sorts, you know? And it's always a comparison, which yeah. I've never really quite understood mm-hmm. why. And uh, there, this happens to me all the time, too, where I do a show you know, a company will do the show five days a week, but they only hire me as a host one day a week. And then I'll look in the comments and it's like, which which person do they like better? The Wednesday person or the Tuesday person? And it's like, why? Why why is it always a comparison? You're either comparing me to me or me to somebody else who, by the way, is always usually the other girl. I was going to say that. Is it a woman? And it's why always do you, that. Why do you think? What, what kind of answers have you come to theorize? Well, nothing pretty. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't come up with any good humanity, good job answers yet. I think that a lot of times right now, the landscape of the digital space is that there typically is only one woman on the show. And that brings a very negative aspect to it. it if I'm the Wednesday woman and there's a Thursday woman, they're going to compare us because we're the only women. And they think that I'm more outspoken, she's more soft, whatever it is, it's like all about what kind of woman you like better is what that ends up being, which mm-hmm. is super toxic. Not human. No, it, it's not human. And I never, ever get compared to the men, which I would so much rather, if, if you're going to make comparisons, compare me to everybody. Right. Because why- Equal am, opportunity. Why get compared to the only other vagina? Like, that doesn't even make sense because we all have our own thoughts and it it doesn't make sense to me. So I know you have come up against a lot of adversity due to your gender. How have you approached that and how do you get through it? I'm not through it. I'm certainly not through it. I face this every single day. It's a massive problem and anybody who thinks it isn't is not opening their eyes. Like, it's, it's insane to me, the people who are still making statements like, hasn't Me Too gone far enough? And I, I'm, I know we're not even talking about specifically Me Too, but it's like, open your eyes. This is my everyday life. I, I'm not booking things because I'm a woman, or I'm only booking things because I'm a woman, which is like, they're both, both problems. pretty big issues. Like, that's, that's crazy. It's different in acting because... It, you need to play a role. But with hosting, don't forget if if you don't realize, not you, Lauren, but whoever's listening you to listen. this. Hi, friends. <laughs> it, you're going up against men and women are going for the same role because a host doesn't have to be specifically a man or a woman. You could be either. So it's not like in acting where women are only 99% of the time going up against other women for the part. We're going up against everybody which is a whole different can of worms between um, aggressiveness from men to women and women to men. And now men feeling like they have to put down women, not just because they're women, but because they're going against them in auditions. And when and you jobs. say put down, you mean verbally putting down a woman. Yes. Like mm-hmm. I, I was early on in my career, I was auditioning for something I ultimately ended up booking over a man. Uh, he was a at the time, 40-year-old man, I was in my early 20s, and it was the the two of us were the final two in this audition. And when I got it, he stormed into the casting director's office and was like, that bitch is crazy. I can't believe you hired her. What's wrong with you guys? You think she'll be able to do a job better than me? And was flipping out when in other positions in this industry, he wouldn't care if I got the job because it wouldn't keep him from getting the job. And not only did I get cast, but he tried to get me fired after I was cast because obviously it, it kept him from getting the job. So it, I think that ha- the original question was, how do I deal with it? How do I get through it? I just try to keep being as great as I can be. I put in way more work. The reason I booked that job was because I showed up, they asked us for uh, 10 specific questions. They wanted us to hear 10 questions that we would have for somebody. And I showed up with 200. And I booked it because then- You were fucking prepared. Because I was prepared and then you know. And 200 isn't a roundabout. 200 was the exact number that I had. And so they wanted to know that somebody could also produce, which I can. 
And so I booked that. So if I hadn't done that, he probably would have booked it over me because he was a 40-year-old man and they probably would have given it to him, but they didn't. And so what do I do? I give 110%. It sounds super duper cliche and it's also exhausting. Like Lauren, you know, I'm working more hours than most people out there. I'm working crazy hours, not because I want to, I have to. I have to do that. Otherwise, I won't make it. I have so many questions from this. One, when that guy is going into the casting director's office, busting in there and saying, you are crazy, first of all, which you never say that to a person. Second of all, just like besmirching your integrity as a human being and as a talent. How do you handle that without using emotional language, because that's also a thing that can bring us down. How do you approach that and and stand up for yourself without sounding like a victim or a liar? Well, first of all, keeping in mind that I had never, I hadn't met this person. We literally, I'd seen this person in the room before, but it wasn't like, this is a friend of mine who knows me or an enemy of mine. This is somebody I don't know. So you get, the first reaction as a human being is you get pissed. Like you're you're mad. Like what the actual F is wrong with this person? But then you have to be smart. You can't stay mad for long. You have to be smart and realize he just called you crazy. So what are you going to do? Go be crazy? Because that's what he said. And that's what he's probably expecting and counting on. Because now if if I get told that, if I get told he did that and I burst into the office and I go crazy about it, then what? Then I actually lose my job. So that doesn't work. You have to think with your brain, which is a lot of the times, and this is so unfortunate, is making a joke of it or making light of the situation. Like, wow, I have no idea why somebody would do that. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Did the casting director bring it up to you? How did you find out about this occurrence? I didn't find out until like six months later when it came up. And they kind of said to me, you know, we were a little worried about you because, or they said we were a little worried about you. And I said, why? You know, you guys cast me. And they said, yeah, but right after we did X, Y, Z. And I was, I was floored. Like, why would anybody, it's just so not in my nature. I've never, I never have done that about anybody to this day. And there are some people who deserve to be called crazy, even though you shouldn't. Like, there are some people who... You really, you meet them. Or at least called out for what they do. Right. You know, I think that the best thing is not to use those terms because they're so loaded, but to say, hey, this is what you did. This is, this is fact. Yeah. This is what happened. Interpret it as you will. And you're Mm -hmm. totally right about that. It's not good to, to put labels on Just because it doesn't help you. It definitely doesn't help. And also it's not descriptive enough Mm -hmm. because what does crazy mean to somebody that you're explaining it to? It might mean something so different than what you're intending it to. Right. So if you describe what actually happened, he burst in the door. He referred to me as crazy after he didn't get the job. You label that what you will or interpret mm-hmm. that how you will. Those are the facts. But what I ended up doing in that specific situation is I made sure that that person was the first person I reached out to to guest on the show. Oh, shoot. How did you decide to do that? Because we had we still hadn't shot yet. Like by the time that I figured it out, we were still doing pre-tapes and test shows. And so by the time they told me about it, we were going to be going live. And they asked me if I didn't want that person on the show. And I said, no, I bring them on as the first. Because unfortunately and fortunately, I know that it's my job to change people's minds. How do you know that and why do you say that? You got to figure that if you're working with somebody who is 40, who's been in the industry for 15 years, they're probably going to be in the industry in five more years. And you don't know what position they're going to be in. And it might be a position that you could really use. It might be somebody who you could really use their help down the line. So I burnt a couple a couple of bridges early on in my career Bridges that I can't get back, bridges I really wish I didn't burn, bridges I was in the right for burning, but I don't want to be in the right. I want to be successful. That's powerful. That's very, very powerful. How do you know if something is a situation like that where you should 
swallow your pride and give an olive branch or if somebody truly deserves to be cut out of your creative life? You definitely don't know. You have to go with your gut. You look at it. You look at the facts. You think about how long they've been there for, what they've accomplished, what their goals are, how bad what they did to you was or your interaction was, and you make an educated guess based on how you feel because there is no science to it. It's not like, okay, if what they did was a level eight bad and they've been around for X amount of years, then add the two and subtract the one and yes, they get to stay. <laughs> you know, I wish, I wish. And I've thought that so many times, like you could ask for advice, but it really, it comes down to what is best for you in your career. And so far after I did the couple of bridge burnings in the beginning, I've been dead on since then because you can you can kind of sense it. Mm-hmm. You get to know. I mean, I, I think, Lauren, you have the same thing inside you. Like, I'm pointing to my chest right now because I don't know how else to describe it. It's like more than just your gut. It's kind of your, your... Your soul. Your soul. Your soul mm-hmm. tells you, no. Like, if you keep this person around, they will tank you. Or it tells you, that was a mistake. You called them out. You live, you learn. How did you, because I think you, as you've gotten older, you've learned to trust that gut-soul connection. How have you strengthened it as you've aged and as you've pursued more and more creativity? Trial by fire, which is... <laughs> All right, Khaleesi. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> but you kind of can only do it by working with so many people. Like I work with, I, I've made a very deliberate choice in my career to diversify. So I'm instead of, and I've been offered to work full time in multiple different places, I'm part time everywhere so that I can learn all about all different kinds of people. And also so that in case one thing falls through, I'm still safe. So I think I've kind of built that muscle by surrounding myself with people of all ages, of all backgrounds, of every type of person that is in this industry and all different kinds of creators. So it it kind of, it, you don't know until you test it everywhere you go. And that's, that's the building of the muscle, which you make some mistakes, but you learn pretty quick from them. You'll hear more from Roxy Stryer in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Potion Naturals. Growing up, I loved collecting perfume. It was one of my favorite ways to express my creativity. I love the beautiful bottles, the different smells, and the ability to choose what aspect of my personality I wanted to bring out based on scent. But then I found out most conventional perfume is highly toxic. And like that, what was once a huge passion came to an abrupt and devastating halt. That's a little extreme, but it was really sad. (laughs) That is until I discovered Potion Naturals. Potion is the first and only store for discovering luxurious, 100% natural fragrances. Like I said, most fragrances are made using toxic synthetic ingredients and often have immediate and long-term health effects ranging from headaches to endocrine disruption. Not only are Potion perfumes toxin-free, they're also curated from artisan perfumeries around the world. So you don't have to choose between a safe scent and an expertly crafted one. You can have it all. And you know what I think is best about Potion? You can try before you buy. It's like dating for perfume. So they have a sample program where you can try five fragrances for $25. And when you get the sample pack, you also get a $25 credit toward any full-size perfume, which is a pretty fantastic deal. I got the sweet sampler because I like to smell like candy. And my favorite scent is Pro Vanilla, which I describe as a sophisticated take on your typical vanilla perfume. It's like vanilla all grown up. And here's a special deal just for your creative soul. For a limited time, go to potionnaturals.com and use code UNLEASH at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack, plus you get free shipping. Again, go to potionnaturals.com and use code UNLEASH, U-N-L-E-A-S-H at checkout for $5 off of any sample pack with free shipping. Now back to the conversation with Roxy Stryer. You mentioned that you've been offered full-time employment, but you've always gone toward part-time, somewhat more flexible employment. 
how can somebody who is about to start pursuing a creative career know if they're the type of person that needs to go down more of that like strict path of full-time employment or if there's somebody who should either go towards self-employment or many part-time gigs? You have to think about your life and what matters to you. Being freelance is not having stability. You have to know that. So it means that I eat somewhere different every day and I don't know what I'm eating or where I'm eating or how much money I'll have to eat or whether that's cooking or somebody's buying it for me or I'm getting it for myself. That's obviously one small example, but every single meal of every single day is like that for me. And if you're somebody who looks at that and thinks that that's exciting, then freelance is the kind of thing for you. And if you're somebody who looks at that and says, that sounds incredibly stressful, then probably freelance isn't for you. And when I say eating, that also means what time you're going to bed, what time you're waking up, who you're interacting with that day, who you're interviewing that day, who's interviewing you that day, where you're auditioning that day. It's everything. It's everything. So if that's exciting, then freelance. And if that's stressful, then not freelance. What about, because I I really want to speak to people who have been going down kind of a straight and narrow path and they've got this fire inside of them for some sort of creative life that they haven't lit. How can they start where they are now? What are ways to start incorporating that dream of theirs into their day-to-day? Well, it's okay to also have your creative juice be filled by a hobby or a part-time job. You don't have to stop everything you're doing to be a creative person. It's not like if you're in Nebraska right now and you're working at a bank and you're listening to this and you're thinking, I have to be creative. I'm stopping everything. I'm moving to L.A. and I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be a star, kid. (laughs) It's 1923. I don't know why. It just became the 20s and you want to be a star. I don't know why that is, but fine. You don't have to, in order to fill the creative cup, do that. Start slow. If you want, you know, go to a community theater and you don't even have to start by auditioning. Go see something. Go watch something. Put on different TV or art house films. Or if you want to start doing things yourself, pick up a monologue book. Start looking at that. Listen to a song that you like and start seeing if you can sing along to it. Go to do karaoke night. Like it's okay to start slow And then start trying to make it a side hustle if you think you want to take it a little more seriously monetarily. Start seeing if you can actually audition and book things. Figure out what local casting looks like. Do you live near one of the major cities? Is that Atlanta or somewhere uh, New Orleans? You know, it doesn't have to be L.A. or New York anymore. There's places that are shooting here all the time. Check out if you want to be a, a background or an extra or somebody who's dancing or singing at a coffee house. Like you don't have to know exactly what you want to do. You can just start trying or go do poetry somewhere. Like there's all different ways that you can start and slowly start to figure out, is that a lifestyle that you want to fully live or is it something that you want to do while living a different life? When you're looking for inspiration in your life, what do you draw from? You mentioned a lot of things there. Are any of those your kind of priming routines? Yeah, I think that I draw inspiration. This is so cheesy, but legitimately (laughs) from everywhere. Like I can find inspiration in a toad, in a rock. Like I'm one of those people who really does find inspiration everywhere. A toad? (laughs) No, straight up because like- Do you see a lot of those? No, I really like if I'm at a pond and I see like (laughs) one toad with like a broken leg and they're limping and they're still happy and they're like- I'm like, that's beautiful. Like, way to go, Toad. I feel so happy for them, which is, it's so stupid. But I literally- It's not, because we're all connected to everything everything and everyone. So I draw inspiration everywhere. But I think that if I'm ever really struggling to find it just in my everyday life, there's definite things that I can do. Uh, I go back and I'll, I'll read some of my journals about when I was feeling super fiery or was having a lot of passion. I'll try to figure out what was going on then. I talked to my family a lot. Like I said, I'm lucky enough that my my parents were in the industry as well. So I'll talk to my dad about like what he did during certain times or how things helped him. I'll watch some of my favorite movies. Usually it won't be my favorite current movies. It will be things like going and revisiting Wizard of Oz or something that's got a beautiful message and uh, things that like 
I watched growing up that really moved the needle for me, that really made me know that this is what I wanted to do. And I'll also try and get out there and help somebody. That always helps me. Like, again, with the cliches, but if I'm really not finding it, if I'm like really, really struggling and just like can't do it anymore, I get off my butt and I go do something. I was a Girl Scout for 13 years until I was 18 years old and they kicked me out because after that point, it's creepy. You're not allowed to do it anymore. (laughs) But I remember growing up, it was just every single week. It was being at a woman's shelter or going to a soup kitchen or sewing things so that people wouldn't be cold in the wintertime, like hats and gloves and all of that stuff, or just figuring out a way to help somebody creating murals for the children's hospital or kits or whatever. And so that was in my blood. That was in my roots. And so when I'm out here, I've done all different kinds of weird shit, like all different things. And that without fail, every time helps. Why is mentorship so important to you, both to do it and to receive it? And if someone's looking for a mentor, how can they find that? Oh my gosh. I think it's so different for, it's such a great question, Lauren, because I think it's so different for everybody. And I'm I'm glad that you asked that because I'm sure other people will have completely different answers. I think that it's important for me to always have mentors and always be mentoring because it gives us a sense of purpose. And it says out loud, I always have more to learn and I always have more to teach. And that's really important when you acknowledge your place in the world that you no matter who you are, you always have more to learn and you always have something to teach, that's a good first step. And being a mentor reminds me that every day and looking to my mentors for their wisdom reminds me that as well. Because I never want to be that person who thinks I know everything because I so don't, which I learned. But you're pretty upfront about that. Yeah, I I try to be. Uh, So I, I think that's why it's really important to me. And I love to help people. And my journey was really difficult. I had amazing mentors along the way, but I had a, I would say as one of the harder journeys, I mean, a lot of people have harder, there's always somebody who does, but I've had a very hard journey. I've had a hard go at it. And I think that anybody who was able to help me in any way, I'm so grateful for. So why not do that to somebody else? Why not try to find the people who not even necessarily had the hardest journey, but just could use a little help? And if somebody is looking for a mentor, where do they go? Like, where have you found yours? I know you found one on a plane. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I was saying it's such a it's great like, question. It's kind of everywhere. I think the best thing to do is to be open to the possibilities. So wherever you are, whether that's a grocery store or an Uber or a theater or literally anywhere, be open to the fact that your person could be there. Now, when I say your person, it could be your best friend. That could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It could be your mentor. It could be like your person that you're looking for, whatever stage in life you're at, could be anywhere you are, which is such a wild concept. Like all you have to do is walk out your door and that person could be on the street. They could be at the mall. Like that person could be there that you have been looking for. So you have to put yourself out there and you have to be open to finding that when they do come because so many people aren't open to the possibilities. And then if you're seeking somebody out, Put yourself in the more likely places. So obviously, like I just said, you could find them on the street or the mall, but more likely you'll find them near the field that you're looking to be in, right? So even if that is at a show or at a movie or on set, if you're trying to, if you're PAing or if you're working in makeup or whatever it is, the closer you are to the field you want to be in, the more likely your mentor is there. And so Put yourself in those positions and then keep your eyes open for them. You're always auditioning. So be friendly, be kind to everybody you meet and really try to make an impression on people. And that doesn't mean not be yourself. You don't have to be like above and beyond, but be open to it and go out of your way to do nice things for people because they remember that. So something I think is so interesting about you is that you don't hold to any specific spirituality. I don't think you would consider yourself spiritual. Yet a lot of the tenets that you hold and that guide your life and your moral compass are certainly rooted in a lot of the better parts of so many spiritualities. So first of all, I'm interested to see where you gain those tenets from. 
And then second, what challenges have you come up against in your creativity and your life in general for not holding to a certain belief? And what's your advice for others out there like you? I grew up always wanting to believe my whole life. And to this day, I'm still growing up, I guess, but I'm desperate to believe. Like it's what I've wanted so bad for so many years. In God, in something. In something, anything. I think you believe in a lot of things, Roxy. I do. I have belief in people and in goodness. And To me, that's God, though. But to me, it isn't. And yeah. and I wish it was. And I've always wished it was. So, yeah, I guess specifically, I really, really wish I believed in God. And I've tried to force myself so many times. Unfortunately, it's just not <laughs> how it works. Um, and anytime somebody tries to convince me, like... You should, you know, try. And I'm like, don't you think? Don't you, think? <laughs> you would love like, to. I would love to. I would love to. I grew up with an atheist father who grew up as an Orthodox Jew. And I grew up with a Jewish mother who grew up way less religious, but ended up being way more religious, which as a lesson to you parents out there, kind of the more you push, the less people want. But it, it was always interesting because he he told me that it just didn't exist as fact. And she told me that it did exist as fact. So how did you deal with that dissonance? I I just kind of I just kind of tried. I picked the one that I wanted more, which was that God exists. But it wasn't true to my heart. And I couldn't put it in there no matter how hard I tried. So I just tried to and I went to Hebrew school and all that. And I just tried to take the lessons that I liked which were some of the good stuff, which is how I think I got some of that, which was like, be kind to others, you know, not don't kill people, don't hurt people, don't steal. If they are dead, you can eat them. <laughs> That's what something really interesting about Roxy. She would eat a person. Go see her, her hosting reel for more information. 100% would eat a person. I really wouldn't even have that much of an issue with it. Also, remember on the Tomorrow Show when I said that to Russell Simmons, pre-Russell Simmons being Russell Simmons. And he was like, oh, I wouldn't eat a person. But then we found out he'd do bad things to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I would eat a person but not do bad things to them. See? So there you go. I so prefer that. I think that I tried to keep those lessons because I am aware. I am ignorant in some senses. Like I didn't grow up with a lot of Christian people. So I have a lot of questions about that. But they're always respectful questions. Like I, I feel like so many other cultures have so much to learn from a person like you because you always ask questions with genuine curiosity, never judgment. I, I'm, I think that's because I'm curious. Like I ask it with curiosity because yeah. I'm legitimately curious. I want to know and I want to learn and I'm so open to growing and changing. And maybe one day I will believe in something different than I believe now. And I hope that I do because I think it's pretty empty to not. And I've really struggled with that a lot for my life. Uh, having that hole that I think only something like a God or I don't know what else, but maybe something else could fill. It feels very daunting. And when when you think about that, it, it's kind of hard to like push forward. But I, I think that um, when it comes to spirituality, I do have some because I took the lessons of my mom, who was religious, and of the school that I went to, and of all the people I surrounded myself with, because most of the people I surrounded myself with did believe in God or mm -hmm. do believe in God. And I kind of took the good parts of it and tried to treat others the way that I wanted to be treated and, and things like that. So if someone's like you, you're basically saying, find meaning where you can. Find your version of spirituality where you can for what makes sense to you. Be curious about others and do your best to just believe in people. Yeah. And, and know that, you know, it's, it's kind of the same as when I was younger, I thought that <laughs> it's not the same, but I thought that <laughs> avocados were disgusting. Yeah. And then one day I loved them. Like you you can't explain these things. Like as probably science could explain why your taste buds change as you grow up. But there's some things you can't explain. If you ever watched a movie one time and you didn't like it and then you watch it at a different point in your life and it spoke to you and you're like, "Wow, that movie was amazing." Or or more likely listen to a song and the first time you hear it you don't get it at all and then it plays like 10 years later in your life and you're like, "That song just gets me." It like it it gets me. I think that you have to be open to the fact that your spirituality could change. You could believe, then you could not. You could not, and then you could. And right. that, that could happen at any time. Yeah, we live many lives within this one body. 
if we're lucky. Yeah. I love that. So you spoke about your mom, and I think that's something that's been very influential to your creativity, to your life in general. You were very close to her, and she tragically passed away of brain cancer. And you were really young, I and mean, you were still in college when that happened. How did that affect you both as a person and as a creative? And if there's another creative out there dealing with the loss of a parent or a major primary relationship in their life, what is your advice to them? Every time that somebody says it, it still is like such a surprise because it just still, it doesn't even feel real and it feels like it was yesterday, but at the same time, it feels like it's been effing forever because when I think about the last time I was able to speak to her, I was in a completely different state of my life and my creative journey. But I did, luckily, it's very different for everybody who is part of DPC, which is what I refer to as the Dead Parents Club so lovingly. Um, I'm allowed to say it because I'm one of you guys. It's it's very different for the people who lost their parents before they were born or when they were really young. I was lucky enough that I had a a relationship with my mom and knew what she felt towards my goals and my career and just how, I mean, my dad's supportive, but she was like, don't blink. Like when she was really, really sick, I was in at USC, I was an acting major and she was like, I will legitimately murder you if you drop out. Like you have to stay there. So I commuted from USC to Boston, which is 3000 miles for two years every week or every other week, like back and forth to see her and also stay studying because it's important, by the way, if you want to be an artist, you have to train, not at first, but if you want to really hone your craft, like you have to train at some point in some way, whether that's training by watching things or training by actually taking a fit, whatever it is, it's hard and you have to learn specific things. But she knew that that was important. And so I I think that anytime that I'm feeling a little lost or I'm questioning things, I'm lucky enough that I can remember her saying what she thought, which is that this was this was it for me. Like, this is my career. This is my life. This is everything I ever wanted. Now, I have other issues, not creative issues, but like at that time, I remember when she passed, I didn't think I'd ever get married or have kids. And so that's been one that like I struggle with because she didn't think I'd ever get married or have kids. And she was like, you know, I j- you just don't strike me as the type. And now that I'm kind of growing, that's the one for me that's more like of a mind trip because I think, what would she think? But when it comes to creative, she knew the whole time. And so I'm able to use that as fuel to drive me towards what I want. And it's interesting also, I was talking to my sister about this the other day about how much it's just in my bones and in my blood. My mom passed away. We had a funeral and then we had a memorial service like six months later. And for the memorial service, I kid you not, this sounds so bizarre, but I came home. I flew back from LA the night before. I said to my dad and my sister, my brother, can I, can I show you guys something? Um, There's something that I've been working on that I would really like to show you to possibly do tomorrow at the memorial service. They said, yeah. And I had written a one woman show about the passing of my mom where I play myself and my mom. It was like this whole extravagant, bizarre, but that's how I express myself. And so that's how it came out. And some people would express that through, I don't know, writing something or by thinking about it or going somewhere or a trip or a song. But I wrote this one woman show. And so they, I performed it for them and they were like, yeah. And so on stage for her memorial service for 450 people, I performed a one woman show about the passing of my mom. It was seriously, truly bizarre, but it was like, I know she would have supported it because that was the creative inside me. I knew that's how I had to get it out of me. There wasn't a question about it for me. And it's kind of been like that every day since. Just every day that I'm creating and every day I'm performing and every day that I'm telling somebody else's story or my own, I feel her and I sense that and I lean into it. And so what I tell anybody out there, my very long roundabout way of getting to your question is don't hide from your creativity because it will find you. And if you hide from it, it will just hurt more. And even if it's weird and strange and you feel like people might judge you for it, 
if it's how you express yourself and it's your outlet, lean into it because it's what's going to get you through whether it's a parent passing or any other tragedy you're going through. If it's your outlet and it's your calling, it is what you have. And that's all you have at that time. And so no matter what the people around you think, like I'm sure people thought it was bizarre that I was doing this one woman show, but I had to. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. I had to. So if that's what you have to do, then that's what you have to do. Beautiful. Okay. The only thing that I'm not sure if I if I got the answer from you or if I asked you is what is your super objective as a person? What is your life thesis? Yeah. You you did you asked me and you gave such a beautiful one that I just thought that I'd steal that one. Um <laughs> like to try and use my creative abilities, which I think are different than most, to help people be seen and heard in a in a beautiful way. That's a pretty powerful way to end. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lolo. I love you. That was beautiful. I want to do one with you. I want to interview (laughs) you about your stories. Well, we can someday. Okay. But for now, this is Roxy Stryer, and she's very wise. She's very deep. She's very talented. She's taken the long way around, and she's finally getting to where she wants. And I can only say that I know it's all up from here. So proud of you. Love you, Lauren. Thank I love you. you. Thank you for listening and to my guest, Roxy Stryer. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Roxy Stryer and Facebook at Roxy Stryer Friends. You should also go ahead and subscribe to her YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Roxy Stryer. She does great non-spoiler movie reviews from her bedroom, V Intimate. Also, Roxy Stryer is spelled R-O-X-Y-S-T-R-I-A-R. Thanks to Liz Full for composing the show's music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to Juliette Weber for your social media and creative help. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. Thank you for another great week of creativity. Could I ask you a favor? If you like the show, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give it a review. iTunes looks at those heavily to determine what shows to feature, and a few words from you will really help the show grow. Also, if you like the show, please tell a friend about it and help us grow the community. Keep in touch on social media at Unleash Your Inner Creative on Facebook and Instagram and at You Are Inner Creative on Twitter. You can find me at Lauren LaGrasso everywhere. My wish for you this week is that you take a step toward your dreams, no matter how small. Even if it's just changing your mindset, that can actually help a lot. Every step counts. I believe in you. Talk with you next Tuesday.